Have you heard about the little boy who was overcome by worry? You see, he worried about where the sun went to. Finally, it dawned on him. Ah, yeah, well. <laughs> like I said, I was a dad too, you know. Yeah. Worry is a common trait for many of us, isn't it? Adrian Rogers, on one occasion, was getting into an airplane or at the airport boarding an airplane, and he, he said he used to like to be kind to the skycaps because he wanted to show the love of Christ to them. And on one occasion, he was boarding, and he said to the young man who was helping him, he said, uh, how's your day going? And the young man broke into a great big smile, and he said, I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> Adrian thought to himself, I like that title. I think I'll use it someday. And I read it, and I thought, I like that title. I think I'll use it someday. So that's the title of our message this morning, Too Blessed to be Stressed. There are a lot of reasons in our society to be stressed, isn't there? This morning, if you want to take your scriptures and turn to Psalm 37, we'll be looking at uh, the first 11 verses, and you might want to just keep it open as we go through Psalm 37. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses of Psalm 37, and that passage of scripture culminates in verse 11, with a verse regarding meekness. Let me read Psalm 37, verse 11. It says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Uh, that is a verse that's quoted by our Lord Jesus Christ in, in Matthew 5, 5, where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness really isn't explained in, in the Beatitudes by our Lord, uh, but it is explained to us in Psalm 37. That's what Psalm 37 is about. It's an exposition of meekness, really. So it's right to say that Psalm 37 is an ex, ex, exposition of the third Beatitude. And we see that it's a journey. It's a journey that leads to meekness. And it starts with a command. In the very first verse, it says, fret not. Starts with a command, and then we're given four behaviors or principles that we can apply to our lives. And if we do that, it fosters obedience in our life, and the result will be meekness. So, let's begin with verse 1, which reads, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. Do not fret. That's a word that we don't normally use, is it? At least I don't. Perhaps you do. I, I googled it and looked up the synonyms. Let me read a list of them that I found on the internet. Worry. Be anxious. Feel uneasy. Be distressed. Be upset, upset oneself, concern oneself, feel unhappy, ang agonize, anguish, sorrow, sigh, pie, uh, pine, brood, mope, fuss, make a fuss, 
complain, grumble, whine, eat one's heart out, stew, and peel pee. The command tells us not to fret. Don't worry. I'm afraid that many of us break that command as many, as many times as any other command in Scripture. You see, when the stock market goes down, our blood pressure goes up. The ignorant fret because they don't know enough. The educated fret because they know too much. The poor fret because they don't have any money. The rich fret because they're afraid they're going to lose what they've got. The old fret because they're facing death. The young fret because they're facing an unsure future. You know, it doesn't matter if you watch CNN or Fox News, you're apt to fret. There are many things in our society today that cause us to fret. And a new development this past week, right, with the invasion of, of Ukraine. Many reasons to fret. But before we look at the scripture today, the, the Psalm 37, I'd like to just give you a couple of practical reasons why we ought not fret. First thing we ought to not fret, because <laughs> worry is useless. It is absolutely useless. Vance Havner once wrote, Worry's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. <laughs> Jesus said, Which of you, by taking an anxious thought, can add one cubit to your height? Man, if I could add to my height, I'd be 6'7 by worrying <laughs> instead of being physically challenged or vertically challenged. But Scripture says, who, who by worrying can add even a single hour to your life? There was a lady that said, don't tell me it doesn't pay to, to worry. She said, uh, she said, don't tell me that worry doesn't do good. Most of the things I worry about never happen. Yeah, that is true. A second practical reason why we ought not worry is because it's really can harm us. It's harmful. Uh, first of all, it can harm harm us. Uh, it can affect our health. It can lead to ulcers and other disorders, and it can lead to psychological disorders. It's harmful to us. It's harmful to others. My wife Addie knows someone who can brighten up the room by leaving it. <laughs> so it's harmful to others as well, isn't it? You know, you don't dare ask such an individual how they are. They might tell you. They might tell you. You know, we can harm others because worry is as contagious as any virus is. It really is. And worry is harmful to God. It's like saying to God, you can't take care of me. How would you feel if your children came to you and said, you can't, you're not interested in taking care of me? That's the kind of effect that worry can have upon God as well. So again, let, let's go back to the command. We looked at, so far, we've looked at a couple of practical reasons. We looked at the definition, a couple of practical reasons why we ought not. 
Now let's go back to verse 1 again where it says, Do not fret because of evil men or be anxious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither away. Like green plants, they will soon die away. The Scripture says that David was originally fretting because of evil men and, and, and their activities. And man, we see evil designs in our world today, don't we? And, it, and to David, it appeared like those that were evil were going to inherit the earth instead of the meek. Uh, it was kind of like nice guys finish last. But the scripture says, for like grass, they will soon wither away. So obviously David came to a realization that the wicked indeed eventually come to naught. Well, we're given the command then in verse 1, fret not. You know, it's one thing for God to tell us and give us this command. It's quite another to actually do it. That's true with all of his commands, aren't it? But thank God, we not only have the command to fret not, we also have the formula, the principles that can be applied, and of course we have the Holy Spirit to aid us in this endeavor. So, let's look at God's formula, how we can be too blessed to be stressed. When we look at this formula, it's not, it's not that we're going to subtract uh, problems in our lives, but rather it's to apply principles to our lives that we can use when we confront those obstacles in our lives. Well, let's look at the four principles. The first principle is found in verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 3 reads, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Trust is faith. That's always the proper starting point in a relationship with God. Hebrews 11.6 said, without faith it's impossible to please God. Uh, you must recognize He exists and that He is a rewarder of those that earnestly seek Him. Faith is critical in our relationship with God. And it is a starting point. It's the principle. It's the first principle we can apply to combat worry in our lives. Faith involves a personal commitment to God, just like it is in a marriage. Uh, we have a personal commitment to a spouse, and it's based upon trust, isn't it? And we trust people because of their good character and their performance. God has impeccable character and impeccable performance. We can trust Him. So, the first principle is to trust God. But it doesn't stop there. It also says, and do good. And do good. You see, faith is, is never a passive thing. It's always active. And do good. Trust inspires activity. We don't sit down in despair. You know what people do who fret and worry? They close down shop. They withdraw. They hunker down. Don't hunker down. Don't, don't retreat. Do good is what the psalmist would say. 
And after each one of these phrases, you will see a promise connected, and that's true with verse 3 as well. It says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. He's going to take care of it. That's his part. So the first principle, the first application that you can use in order to combat fretting is simply to trust God. The second principle is to delight yourself in him. It's found in verse 4, Psalm 37, verse 4, which reads, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Spurgeon once wrote, Do not think first of the desires of your heart, but think first of delighting yourself in your God. If you've accepted him as your Lord, he's yours, so delight in him, and then he will give you the desires of your heart, unquote. You know, we do just the opposite of that. We first think of the desires of our heart rather than delighting in him, don't we? Frequently, we can do that. The promise associated with this verse is that if we delight in God, God will give us the desires of our heart. Uh, does that mean he'll give us something foolish like, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, new Corvette? Do you like Corvettes or whatever car you like? Uh, maybe a brand new shiny Cadillac or something. I don't know. That's not the, exactly what God had in mind in this particular verse, I don't think. I know, matter of fact. You know, if we delight ourselves in our finances, the desire of our hearts can be threatened. If we delight our hearts in our family, not that it's wrong to love our family, but you might have to kiss them goodbye. I mean, circumstances change. It's only when our hearts are totally wrapped up in our Lord Jesus Christ and we delight in Him do we have those inner needs that are met. Inner needs such as security and love, forgiveness and a sense of belonging. Those things can only come from Him when we delight in Him and they are a mechanism to combat worry. And so the first two principles is trust, and delight. The third attitude adjustment or principle or uh, command that we could use to combat fretting is found in verse 5. It reads, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Commit your way to the Lord. The word actually means to roll one's way unto God. It's similar to the word that's found in 1 Peter 5 verse 7 where it says cast your care. I mean, no, well, yeah, some translations are like that way, but cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's like rolling a bowling ball. You cast your care unto him. And, and the Hebrew word for commit literally means to roll. Suppose you had $10,000 in your breast pocket. 100 $100 bills. You probably initially would think, that's kind of a nice thought. <laughs> it's a lot of money, though, when you start thinking about it. and You think, well, you know, I might lose it. And you begin to worry about that $10,000. 
And you think, well, somebody might know I'm carrying it on me and they might mug me. They might steal it from me. And so you, you get obsessed with that $10,000. And you think, well, i got to do something about it. So you go to the bank in the morning. You, fill up, you, you count it out in front of the teller. You make out a deposit slip and you hand it to the teller. And the teller takes it and counts it and puts it wherever they put it and gives you a receipt. Well, what have you done? You've committed it, right? It's like, whew, it's gone. It's still mine, but I put it in their trust. And I don't need to worry about it anymore. That's what we need to do with our trials and tribulations. Commit it to the Lord and trust it to Him. You know, now, if you do that with your money, you don't have to get a couple of revolvers and sit before the bank and protect your money, do you? You wouldn't put it in the bank if you didn't feel that they would take good care of it. And so it is with God. Commit it to Him. He's able and capable of taking good care of it. And He gives a promise with this as well in verse 6. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday. And so we had three principles then. One is to trust. The second is to delight, and the third is to commit your way unto him. The fourth attitude adjustment or principle that we can apply, our behavior that we can apply to combat worry in our life is found in the seventh verse, which reads, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. We are told then to be still before the Lord. Hmm. Be still. It goes beyond merely being still, though, because the very next verse tells us refrain from anger. And I think they're both similar concepts. You know, if you're full of anger, you can't be still. They conflict each other. So being still and having an absence of anger are the same, the same situation. And it says, fret, be still before the Lord and wait, wait, be still, wait, and refrain from anger. All the same concept. Wait on the Lord. Be still, refrain from anger. And then we're given a promise like the other verses, where it says in verse 9, For evil men will be cut off, and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. We see now why it's important for waiting. The reason for waiting is because the ultimate answer to the activity of the wicked that's agitating David is that their end is not yet. The wicked will be brought down. And so we're told to combat worry by trusting God and doing good, to delight in Him, to commit our way to Him, to be still and refrain from anger. Does that mean that we just sit back and let life come, come at us? 
and, and, and take us wherever it will. Well, really, this is these are calls to action. Uh, God's calling us to control, take control of ourselves. Now, I, I might not be able to control the circumstances in my life, but if I apply these principles, I can control how I react to those circumstances in my life. And then we find, finally, we in, in verse 11, it says, but to me, we come to the end of the journey. If we, We're told, fret not, and then we're given four principles, and now we come to the 11th verse, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. We completed our journey to meekness. Meekness is a very unusual quality. A quality that God would have us to cultivate. A quality that is best exhibited by Moses. In Numbers 12, verses 9 to 10, it reads, uh, no, uh, in verse 3 it reads, uh, that Moses was more meek than anyone else. His meekness exceeded any other human being. And we see the, you might want to read this chapter, this 12th chapter, when you get home today. Uh, the events in this chapter, when they occur, his first wife had passed away. Uh, he then married a, a Cushite woman, and Cush is from the ancient, uh, is an ancient name for Ethiopia, and therefore his second wife probably was black. And that was an offense, probably, or, well, it was offense to Miriam and Aaron, both, and in uh, verse 9 and 10, it says, the anger of the Lord burnt against them. When the cloud lifted from the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Now, in face of this, how did, how did Moses, not Moses, yeah, Moses, sorry, getting my people mixed around here. What was Moses' conduct throughout this incident? You know, his wife had been insulted. He had been despised. His authority had been challenged. Uh, did he fight back and try to vindicate himself? What did he do? We see that Moses, if you read this entire passage, you see he did the same thing suggested in Psalm 37. He trusted God. He delighted himself in God. He committed his way to God. And he was still and refrained from anger. And therefore, God protected him and vindicated him in time. Meekness is not weakness, incidentally. Moses was a very courageous man. As you recall, he stood before the most powerful man on earth and said, let my people go. How about you dealing with your fretting and moving to a state of meekness? You can by trusting God, delighting in Him, committing your way to Him, and being still and refraining from anger. It's good to look at Moses and his example, but the pinnacle of examples is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's an example each of us ought to 
ascribe to. In the passage of Scripture, I would like you to, to turn to, I'd like you to turn to this, please. It's Philippians, the second chapter, the fifth verse, starting the fifth. It is a passage of Scripture. To me, it's just a moving passage of Scripture. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. And it speaks about our God's, our Lord's humility and His meekness. Philippians, the second chapter, starting at verse 5, showing our Lord Jesus Christ as the pinnacle of meekness. Let's read it together. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus certainly exhibited these characteristics, the first being trust and do good. Well, he trusted his heavenly Father, did he not? Did he not go around doing good? Certainly. He practiced the second principle, that of delighting. He was in constant prayer and communication with the Father. Oftentimes, he would leave the disciples and go off and pray and be in communion with his Father. The third principle he also practiced, commit, committed his way. Commit your way to, to God. Well, Jesus said, not my will, but yours. And he exhibited the last characteristic as well. Be still and cease from anger. While he hung from the cross, he said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You remember when we went through Psalm 37? Every one of those behavior adjustments or principles that we looked at, they each had a promise. If you practice them, you're rewarded. Well, our, our Lord is the pinnacle of practicing these principles. And he too was rewarded. Let's continue reading in the second chapter and pick up the reading at verse 9. It says, therefore, I mean, as a result of his humility, as a result of his meekness, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every time I read that passage, it gives me a chill. Because I know that not only I, but you as well, every one of us, will see that day. 
will bow before him. He who is the pinnacle of meekness and our example and our Savior, we praise him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We have many reasons to worry and many reasons to have anxiety in our society today. We worry about bills. We worry about wars. We worry about politics. We worry about everything under the sun. And sometimes we're like the lady who thinks that worrying does good. None of these things happen if I worry about them. But many things we are confronted with that can cause us to be disturbed and to fret. But may our anchor be you. May our anchor be his scripture. May we indeed practice what the psalmist said. To trust you, to lighten you, to commit our way to you, and to be still. Thank you, Father. In the name of Christ. Amen. For a benediction, I'd like to read to you the benediction that uh, Paul gave in 